you know, a lot of times, you know, executives will say, you know, like, hey, I want like uh, an algorithm that does X. Well, it's like, you know, you're really going to have to collect lots and lots of data to show that algorithm. And it gets stale. Like, you know, for Google was telling me that they constantly need to update, um, you know, their, their, their algorithms that understand language because language changes like every day. Welcome to Array Podcast, the platform to discover hacks and skills you need at different stages of building your business. I'm your host, Shruti Gandhi, founder and managing partner of Array Ventures. Array Ventures invests in founders focused on solving problems, leveraging big data, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. Visit us on array.vc. Support for today's podcast is brought to you by DLA Piper a global law firm strategically positioned to serve and support high-growth technology companies, venture capital, investors, and founders wherever they do business. DLA Piper's lawyers help entrepreneurs lead successful businesses through experienced, cost-efficient legal counsel from formation, financing, M&A to IPO. To learn more, please visit www.dlapiper.com. On the show today, we have the founder of Crowdflower, Lucas Bewald, and we will be talking about the future and problems in artificial intelligence, training data sets, and how AI is used at bigger companies. I have to ask, what's stopping us from solving these problems with the so-called AI hype uh, we ha- we're living in right now? Yeah, I mean, so I, I'm not sure. I mean, I think long-term, you know, the reason that I wanted to work on AI is because I think it's the most important thing. Like, I think you know, automating people's brains is, is like incredibly um, valuable and powerful thing for society. And I'm, I'm passionate about it. So I don't know if the, I mean, I feel like some of the promises right now are maybe not as good as, um, you know, the reality. I think, you know, Watson had, you know, used to have some somewhat kind of overpromising commercials from my perspective. Um, but, um, you know, I think that there's clearly a, um, you know, I, I think like, you know, I was talking to a bunch of folks. So these days, algorithms are available, right? So that wasn't true 10 years ago. Like finding, you know, like a good algorithm to use to do classification was actually really difficult. You know, I think in the last year, we've seen um, Google launched a service, Amazon launched a service just the other day. Yeah. Um, IBM has a, has a great service and, and Microsoft, um, you know, has a service. So all these big companies have launched these things. There's innumerable startups that have that have different takes on it. So I don't think the algorithm is the issue, but but there's kind of two things that, that folks run into um, from my perspective, which are, you know, in related news, the things that Crowdflower solves, right? <laughs> this is really what I believe, um, truly. So, you know, the one is that you need a ton of training data. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, computers don't learn as well as humans. There's no question about that in any domain. But one thing that they can do that humans can't do is they can look at unlimited amounts of data without getting bored, <laughs> right? And so, you know, it's a little bit like, I, I don't know if you remember when, um, you know, computers became the best uh, chess players, right? Mm. Like maybe 20 years ago. IBM. Yeah, IBM, yeah, Deep Blue. I mean, it really inspired me as a kid. Um, and, but, you know, it, it basically, they, the, one of the reasons that that worked so well is because they kind of used the advantages of a, um, of a computer, right? So it could look more deeply than a human, right? But it couldn't, it couldn't analyze quite as intuitively as a human, so actually its analysis was very superficial. It just looked deeper. And so it turned out that approach worked fantastically well, right? So it wasn't a very um, human-style approach. It was like using the advantages and disadvantages of a, of a computer. And so I think, I think you know, machine learning, modern machine learning kind of works in somewhat the same way, where it maybe doesn't look as deeply at the situation um, in some sense as a human brain, but it looks at lots of information, right? So situations where you have lots and lots of data can be great situations for machine learning. So, you know, I remember when I was in school, this actually really struck me. Um, you know, 
Google came out with the best translation system. And our government, the US government, had invested countless millions, maybe billions of dollars making a translation system. And Google just launched one as kind of a byproduct of their system, right? Because they had they had collected tons and tons of mm. training data, but just crawling the web, right? Because you get, you know, websites that are in two different languages. Well, that's a great um, that's a great set of training data for your um, translation system. Right. And you look at like, you know, Facebook. I remember they launched a um, facial recognition system that was better than the world had seen because they have so many selfies oh, yeah. <laughs> every day. Every day people post billions of selfies, right? I mean, I remember when I was in school, we'd have like a, you know, we have a data set, it'd be like a thousand um, photos of faces that we would train on, right? And it's like, you know, that's like ridiculous, right? Like, I mean, we could look at any of our photo streams and, and have a bigger um, training set. So, um, so I think, you know, where you look, where you see machine learning working really well, inevitably behind that, you see um, some massive source of, um, of training data. So I think, I think a lot of companies have not internalized that. So, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, executives will say, you know, like, hey, I want like a, an algorithm that does X. Well, it's like, you know, you're really going to have to collect lots and lots of data to show that algorithm, and it gets stale. Like, you know, for Google was telling me that they constantly need to update, um, you know, their 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 algorithms that understand language because language changes like every day. You know, like the the slang on Twitter changes, right? A sentiment algorithm that worked last year isn't going to work as well. That's interesting. Um, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, you know, and, and and even with different domains, right? So you know, if you take a sentiment classifier that was built for you know a product for teenagers and you you train it on a thing, or you, you, you train it on data that was like adults talking about something, it's actually not going to work very well, right? And I think humans, we miss the fact that our brains are so good at kind of making analogies and, and mm -hmm. using information from one domain to inform another domain. Computers really aren't like that. I mean, computers, um, the, the best algorithms don't do it nearly as well as humans. So um, so what that means is that you need a lot of training data. It needs to be really specific um, to exactly the thing that you're trying to accomplish, right? So that's one issue. And then I think the second issue is... We're really uncomfortable with um, computer programs that don't perform deterministically in the sense that I think we mm. don't have good processes to handle, um, you know, programs that, that make mistakes occasionally, right? So, you know, we see this like, you know, you look at like, you know, all the research in AI and it's like, you know, somebody goes from 80% accuracy to 81% accuracy and, and, you know, you can publish a paper. That's actually, you know, not easy to do and, and, and um, you know, it's a, it's important work, but I think executives kind of look at that and they're like, okay, 20% of the time I think screws up or like 19%, like I don't care, like I don't, I don't want to like, <laughs> you know, I don't want to like route my truck to the wrong place 20% of the time or 90% of the time, like, you know, screw this, like I'm, I'm not doing any, you know, machine yeah. learning here. And, and I think that what, um, I think the design pattern that you see that gets around that a lot is, is you know, one thing that Crowdflare is, which is, you know, human in the loop, right? And, and that's where you kind of take the cases where the algorithm's not confident and you send that um, to a human to check, so then you you get the right answer. And I think the best, my favorite example of this is um, is the U.S. Post Office, which is not a Crowdflower customer. So I'm not this is this is name dropping, but I think it's just amazing. So you know, over 30 years ago, actually, um, the post office started using OCR or optical character recognition for addresses. For addresses, yeah. So so letters get, got routed, and it wasn't very many of them, right? It was only like I think like 10 or 20 percent that they could route in the in the really early days, because this was early days, right? I mean. You know, this is this is the early '80s. Like that's you know, awesome. Back propagation neural net algorithm. Probably, I don't think it'd come out. Yeah, I mean, character based. Yeah, character based. Yeah. Nice. So I think you really had to like print it, um, and then. But what's amazing, right? So, is it now character based or pixel based? You know, I don't know their exact algorithm now, but it's um, it's I mean, it's camera based, right? But but it actually there's still examples where they send it to humans, right? It's pretty interesting, right? So they don't actually route all the mail um, automatically. Um, even though you know, some people claim that computers are better than humans at the digit recognition, mm -hmm. but 
Um, for whatever reason, the post office, you know, doesn't think so. So they, they still route, you know, a, a percent or two. And I still get my mail in three, four, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. But but it's like, it's and, and like I think I can guess like whose handwriting is possible to read. Like I, I look at my the letters from my grandmother, and I'm like amazed that anyone can route, you know, the, the labels <laughs> that you know, the way she writes addresses, right? But but um, I think it's interesting to look at that if you think about that as a business. If the post office had waited until they could completely automate. Um, address routing, they actually wouldn't have, um, they still wouldn't have a system deployed. You know what I mean? Like so, so actually, they've gotten 30 years of efficiency improvements mm. because they were willing to do these partial deployments. Mm, interesting. But, but we're not used to that, right? I mean, so, so you know, I think most of the time we think about, um, you know, automation kind of like completely replacing a process. But I think in the machine learning domain in particular. We need to have ways that algorithms people can work together. So you think, um, just to expand on that a little bit that people don't know often that middle work that is done, some by the machine, and then the output from that is hard to take in? No, I think, well, I think people insist on um, an algorithm being For perfect. control? I think they insist on the algorithm being um, completely accurate. And I think a lot of times making an algorithm completely accurate is... Um, well, I, I get it, but what I'm saying difficult. is, let's say like they accept that we will take a... Uh, 81% al accurate algorithm, uh -huh. but are they afraid of even taking in that data uh -huh. at that stage and doing something to it? The current skill set people, like the guy who's doing the reports today, uh -huh. is comfortable with his own report oh, versus oh. the one produced 81% by you know, like institutional inertia? Yeah. I mean, I think that's certainly an issue, right? That, that um, you know, companies have a hard time switching processes, but I think... I think that this kind of um, process change is particularly challenging for companies because it requires a fair amount of kind of cross-functional coordination, right? So, mm. you know, if, if you move something from, like, a, you know, if you say you move a back office process, like a lot of things, like, um, a lot of things that are, are now managed by, you know, the kind of CEO, CIO's department or, you know, like IT, right? They used to be like back office processes, right, done by like people. Mm -hmm. And I think like when, when something like kind of cleanly, um, you know, shifts into your technology stack. Um, I think that's like something that that's that's super clean and companies understand. Whereas I think a lot of these machine learning algorithms, they sort of have to kind of partially shift because I think to to get a lot of these machine learning things, um, to get a lot of machine learning applications to to one hundred percent requires a like incredible level of intelligence because the last one or two percent can be really hard, right? I think about like self-driving cars, right? I think is a great example where, you know, like just following like a highway line, you know, that's been solved a long time ago, right? I mean, like, you know, you saw a kid like, you know, did it in his garage, right? Mm -hmm. Like made a car that could do that. Um, but, um, you know, I think that, that if you think about like, if you really wanted a car to, to be like fully self-driving, right? There are moments where there's like a cop that tells you to drive the wrong way down a one-way street. Right, so you know, if you want your self-driving car to like handle that situation, you basically need to like it needs to be able to like communicate, it needs to understand human language, it needs to understand like so much more about the the world around it, right? So, um, you know, it seems like in a lot of these machine learning applications, um, you know, the the last few percent is just so difficult that it, it may never get done, and so I think companies that are waiting, um, you know, for that that level of perfection will be will be waiting forever. Right, the post office can't even can't even wrap now. Yeah, that's uh, so you almost have to take that risk a little bit, um, and and bring a human in the loop. 
Um, and yeah. and reroute your workforce to handle that. I handle um, those cases. Yeah. yeah, I do love those billboards on 101. By the way, <laughs> congrats on that. So I think we were we were discussing this a little bit before about companies. You know, so big companies if they're so afraid, uh-huh. um, are any companies now using AI ML to kind of um, help their you know top line? Yeah, um, yeah, and you know what are some examples? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I think I think um, you know it's funny. Somebody was asking me, an investor was asking me the other day, um, you know, what what is it going to be like when in a world where like AI is you know adopted, where like you know actually like you know like AI is you know kind of moves from you know the the like you know the scientific the idea sci- yeah. to like you know the real like thing. And I was like, you know, I think like people are not going to notice because I think actually AI already is like massively adopted, and it seems like nobody notices. Right? Like, there's all these amazing things that like happen. <laughs> like <And> what? <laughs> like, like you know, it's crazy. Like, you go into Google and you type in something, and it basically gets what you want. Yeah. That is AI, right? And that, <laughs> that is like absolutely um, machine learning. Okay, I'm talking about non pure tech forward companies. I'm talking uh-huh. about let's say uh, you said the the post office is a great example, right? Like. Yeah. What else? I mean, FedEx, maybe, uh-huh. you know, yeah, so what yeah. else? Yeah. What else? Well, I think... Um, Any interesting cases that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, totally. Um, so, you know, I think there's a there's a really common use case that, in, um, um, that you know, people might not realize, right, in basically credit card companies, right? When they want to give a loan to a small business, they actually will scrape the web and they'll find information about that small business, right? And so, you know, how do they do that efficiently, right? Because if you're giving... Think about it like this, right? If you give a $10,000 loan to someone at, like, I don't know what the interest rates are today, you know, like six, 7%, um, you know, you do not have a lot of room to spend money on investigating that company, right? So the fact that, you know, you can actually like, you know, get a 10,000 loan, $10,000 loan at all is like, is incredible yeah. to the power of automation, right? Yeah. So, There's so, a lot, there are quite a few startups that have come up with that premise. Oh yeah. But it's, it's, it's real, right? I mean, yeah. This isn't like, um, this is like totally happening and it's, it's causing, um, you know, companies to get much better loans. Right. So I, you know, I know there are startups that are completely focused on this or like, you know, have, have plans around this, but you know, like, you know, Visa, Amex, MasterCard, they're all actually doing it. I mean, they're, they're and they have data science teams that are not, you know, exploring this or actually, you know, it's deployed. Right. Um, you know, I think another one that, that a lot of companies do that, um, I think folks don't necessarily realize is, is, um, modify their brands based on, what people are saying about them on social media. Mm. So, you know, companies that make like, you know, Coca-Cola, right? They, they, they look very carefully at what folks are saying um, about all the products that they have. And that's actually not easy to do, right? I mean, you, you know, you, to get like analytics on the, the things that, that folks are saying about, um, you know, soda, right? When, when so many people are tweeting about it, there's actually um, quite a few that really can only be done with machine learning, right? Like to, to look through millions of, um, of people's comments and, and kind of pull meaning from that. Um, you know, I mean, uh, what else? I think... Um, well, let, let me ask you yeah. this. Um, so big companies are producing a lot of data. Uh-huh. Um, I've heard this argument where um, people are almost saying that startups are at a disadvantage because they do not have that data. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the solution around that or, you know, for... for for AI company or analytics company to be truly good, um, where do they get this data? Well, I think that's a real challenge. It's funny. I feel like I've had this conversation with investors a bunch of times, and I think it's not clear to me that you know. I think I think there's like this almost like a trope that startups have where it's like 
you know, okay, we have all this data, and then machine learning is going to turn that into like a competitive advantage. And I think it's actually kind of unusual that a company really can do that. Like, I think Uber is a great example um, of, of using lots of real-world data and turning it into an advantage, right? And, and, you know, they... But they create their own data. Yeah, so I think you basically need to create your own data, or you need to be able to do, um, you know, very clever BD deals, right? I mean, I think mm -hmm. like, you know, for example, in, in healthcare, I think you see a lot of companies that... Um, you know, find clever ways to get companies to um, to sell them data. But I actually think machine learning, I mean, I think in a way it favors startups because startups have, um, you know, the kind of nimbleness to take advantage of, you know, change in the world. But at the same time, I actually think it, it does, um, it does give legacy uh, businesses with like big legacy data sets um, a, you know, advantage in another way, right? Because they can, they can exploit their data in ways that, um, you know, they might not have thought of, right? So, um, you know, so I, I think, you know, either you need to, to generate useful data from your user base, and that's a really interesting model, or you, know, you need to do deals. Yeah, <laughs> be clever. Um, tell me about your uh, favorite algorithm. <laughs> My favorite algorithm. Um, Could be bubble sort, it's okay. <laughs> bubble sort. Uh, well, I mean, I, I'd say, like, so I've been watching the... Um, AlphaGo. I've been watching machine learning, um, oh. you know, kind of progress, and, and I've been... Um, I've been really amazed by um, the advances in, I mean, everyone has, but I, I just, my perspective, you know, someone's been really close to it. I think you, you never really see algorithms make like kind of like step change um, improvements, but I think there's just been like incredible steady progress in, um, in neural nets and, and vision algorithms. Um, and I think, um, I think some of the stuff around, I think like one thing that people um, don't appreciate as much as, as they should kind of outside of, you know, the real, machine learning nerds is this thing called um, called transfer learning where you kind of take things that you've learned in one domain and, and apply it to another domain and I think that the promise of that is that you know so so you know one of the things that, that we tried as an experiment was kind of taking um, you know object recognition trained on millions of you know kind of everyday objects and, and Google and other you know just basically on the web right and, and then kind of using that to try to identify um, roads, right, for, for a self-driving car company. And, and that actually worked super well. I was actually able to start identifying roads, like, after only looking at, like, you know, 10 or 20 images of, of roads, which is, like, a massive... That's pretty cool. Advance. And you get the sense that, like, wow, you know, that, that's sort of, like, what humans do, I think, right? Is we, one of your robots doing that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but as a side tangent, uh, Lucas has a optics lab. Uh, it's called optics, like, but it does all sorts of cool innovation in robots and drones. So feel free to ping him on Twitter about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm on L2K. I've got, got a lot of um, cheap robots in, <laughs> in my garage. In, in his lab. <laughs> yeah, my lab. Um, yes, yeah, so, sorry, I, I interrupted you, but um, you, you were saying that it takes like 15, 20 images now. Yeah, in these domains. So I think... I think um, you know, I think like one thing that's amazing that humans do that would really change things for um, you know machine learning is if you know if we could kind of learn things from just a small amount of training data. And so you know, I think transfer learning really has the promise of um, you know kind of massively reducing the amount of training data. So potentially, you know, it, it seems like you know because there are there there are like big public data sets available, right? This startups totally use, right? But the problem is there's just not that many. Mm -hmm. and, and then what happens is I feel like, you know, like one data set comes out and then like everybody does it, right? So there's this one data set called ImageNet mm -hmm. that's just like objects. There's yeah. millions of objects and it's, it's a wonderful resource yeah. that it's free. But, you know, I think that, um, you know, there's so many interesting applications that are, it's like not identifying 
what's the object in the picture. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if, if, if you want to identify images on Earth, or like you want to look at like medical images, right? I mean, you know, we work with, um, you know, a bunch of medical imaging customers that want to like identify cancer cells, right? And so, you know, it's like, how do you take, um, you know, what you've learned in kind of one domain and apply it to, to cancer cells? Mm -hmm. I think our brains are just beautiful at doing that. Mm -hmm. And I think we really have not yet um, figured out how to do it. But I think transfer learning has a promise of potentially, um, you know, making, making much, much faster learning. How does it work? Well, so what they do is they, they train a neural net on, um, you know, on one set of data. Um, and then they, they, you know, basically you, you kind of tweak it a little bit on, on a second set of data, or you use that output as input into a new neural net, right? Mm -hmm. So you basically say, well, um, you know, I'm just going to, you know, because, so like, for example, like, you know, identifying the road, like one way to do it that's pretty interesting is you basically look at um, every pixel in an image and you, you put a kind of a box around it. You say, okay, in this box, what would I call this, right? And, 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 and like, you know, based on the, all the image net um, images, right? Mm -hmm. So there's like, you know, a few thousand different images. Mm -hmm. um, and so then you say, and so then you learn like, okay, like where, um, you know, where my, my kind of like first neural net says like, you know, maybe it's like asphalt. That might be a good sign that it's road, yeah. right? Or, you know, my first neural that, right. um, you know, says that, like, it looks like a tree, you know, that might be the edge of the road or might mm -hmm. be, like, a barrier or something like that. So um, so how do you transfer that to, let's say, cell and can cancer recognition and things like that well, if I were to... Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I, I think that's, I mean, you know, I think that that's something that, that people are kind of looking into is, like, what happens if you kind of take... Um, you know, neural nets trained in one domain and, and apply it to a completely new domain, right? Because, you know, there are some similarities, there's some big differences with cancer cells to, to, to right. um, you know, real world, you know, like, to, like trees and stuff, but at the same time, you know, like, there's some similarities, right? Like, you yeah. know, like we care about shapes and colors and yeah. things like that, and so, um, so anyway, I think that's, that's the kind of research that really excites me where, um, you know, there's really obvious ways to kind of take it to market and apply well, it. Well, that well. could be an answer to um, getting training data from some existing industry totally. and and applying it without creating a whole new set of training data for yeah. that new industry. So totally. that could be the answer to some of the questions we were asking before. Yeah. Um, so what, where is the state of AI today? I feel that uh, as an investor, companies pitch to me and they're always saying I'm a deep learning company, I'm an AI company, I'm an ML company. Uh -huh. And under the hood, they're just using some open source software from all the companies we mentioned before, uh -huh. um, obviously with some tweaks um, or so forth, uh -huh. what they claim. Yeah. Um, what, I don't call them to be an AI company. I, I mean, they are definitely leveraging AI mm -hmm. uh, that they did not create. Mm -hmm. So to me, uh, I'm struggling figuring out where this goes to be like a new AI innovation, you know, company that uh, people should be excited about. So what, what is that for you? Well, I think the, the I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not an investor, but I think the, the companies that like excite me are, I think that there are new ways to apply um, existing algorithms. Like if I, I think if I was an investor, I would be really wary of companies that were trying to, to be an AI company in the sense of like, you know, creating new algorithms because so much work has been put into the open source algorithms. Like, I actually think about the AI space from a starter perspective, and it's this funny combination of, like, you know, there's there's not as much traction as other spaces, right? I mean, like, I think it's still really early, yet you, if you enter the AI, you know, general AI platform market, you're competing with Microsoft, mm -hmm. Amazon, <laughs> Google, and IBM yeah. right off the bat, and there's not a lot of traction yet. So I think, like, going, like, running right at um, trying to be an AI company is actually really hard because it's not even just that. It's that 
the state-of-the-art stuff is mostly open source, right? Because mm -hmm. these academics that build these models, they like to open source stuff. So there's an incredible amount of good tools. But now I think like what's not really understood is how do you actually take a, a model and, and, and make it useful? And I think like, you know, like the, the example that I always think of is like, okay, like, you know, like self-driving cars, right? Like, you know, like a 99% a accurate self-driving car will kill you. Right, if you just get in it and like let it drive, you know, like that, that's like, <laughs> one, like one of the most dangerous things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Someone, actually, someone saw me at Google. They, you know, they put their engineers in the self-driving cars, and like, almost immediately they started like not paying attention. Right, and these are like engineers who like understand the danger. You know, and, and so you, know, you can imagine like you know my parents would just sort of see it drive correctly for a while, and like you know, like we, we actually humans are so bad at understanding rare events. I mean, like you know, you get in and you're like, oh, this seems safe. You know, like you see, and, and you see people doing dangerous stuff with a Tesla, even though they try to like force you to keep your hands on the wheel, right? But so then I think the innovation here, if, if I if I was an investor, what I would look at is like, okay, like how do you turn that um, into a product? Because I can imagine all kinds of interesting products, right? Like, you know, Toyota has the take of like, you know, make a car that like, you know, only takes over to cases where it's sure you're going to crash, right? That could really save lives, right? I mean, that's like taking it, you take a 99% accurate algorithm and you just use it in the cases where it's sure it's going to crash. Immediately, you have a safer car. So you you're know? saying add human in the loop. Well, I'm saying I'm saying I'm saying <laughs> you need to like yeah. Well, I'm saying like, you need to make it smart. You need to like you need to actually. I think incorporating humans and thinking about how your algorithm interacts with humans is is um, still not well understood. I mean, Crowdflower does it in certain cases, but I think that um, the most interesting companies are the companies that figure out ways to. Um, to combine algorithms and humans, right? Like, you know, I think like, you know, like Duolingo doing translation, you know, using kind of humans and using like the learning tool um, that humans are into to generate lots of training data, I think is like, you know, unbelievably cool. Or um, um, even something as simple as like, uh, we have a customer that, um, you know, they take, you know, basically like you're at dinner and you can take a picture of your bottle of wine and it'll recommend other bottles of wine. And it's like, you know, I don't think people are going to type in a bottle of wine at dinner. That's like not a thing people would do. But I think you totally might like put your camera on a bottle of wine. And that's like a simple app that like, you know, AI enables. It's not mm -hmm. the first or the tenth or the thousandth thing mm -hmm. you probably do with, <laughs> you know, AI. But I think there will be an explosion of, um, you know, companies like that, that that say, hey, like these are new capabilities that a computer has. How can we incorporate that in our lives to make mm -hmm. our lives better? Interesting. Well, Lucas, thank you so much for your time. And uh, you should follow him on Twitter on, at LTK. And uh, this is Shruti. My Twitter handle is at Shruti. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, Lucas. Thanks, Shruti.